Hello, and welcome to another episode of Cleared for Takeoff. I'm your host, Gavin Rice, and I want to share what I've learned in aviation, both on the job, off the job, and what I've encountered everywhere in between. Well, this past week was quite easy compared to the previous week that I told you about in last week's episode. It was only uh, only a two-day trip that I worked so far. I'll be on reserve into uh, next week. So this past week, uh, like I said, just a two-day, pretty uneventful. It was it uh, started from Boston as a deadhead from uh, from Boston to LaGuardia, and then was just going to be a Nashville turn. So LaGuardia to Nashville, Nashville back to LaGuardia. It came in fairly late, so they put me up in a hotel for the night, and then I just had a deadhead back to Boston the following morning. So overall, the trip went really well. We've had some great weather uh, in the beginning of this week, so it just it was it it went really swimmingly <laughs> compared to the the previous trip with all the delays and the weather and whatnot. Um, and, and considering I was going in and out of New York's airspace, again, given the good weather, couldn't have gone any smoother. So that was really good. Nothing really much happened on this trip. I will say two interesting things did happen. On the, the last leg coming back to LaGuardia from Nashville, we took off um, out of Nashville, I think it was probably 8-ish p.m., 7 or 8 p.m., so it was starting to get dark. Uh, we took off. It was a really nice sunset, some beautiful colors. And then uh, as we were getting vectored onto the approach into LaGuardia at this point, it was, I think, close to 9 p.m., so it was getting pretty dark out. And on the arrival, we saw a shooting star, which was really neat. And obviously the term shooting star came from you know the early observations of of an object going through the sky, right? It, it looked like an actual shooting star because it was moving really quickly. For those who don't know, a shooting star is obviously some hunk of rock or space junk or something that's falling through the atmosphere and it's burning up. And that's what's giving off that really bright light. Now, the one that we saw up in the air on this arrival the other day, it was, it was really bright and really defined because normally when you're on the ground, a shooting star, it just, it looks like that. It looks like a shooting star. You, you can't really... Uh, pick out any colors or anything it just it just looks like a, a silvery lit up object that flies through the sky and then it, it slowly fades out or, or rather quickly fades out in most cases but this object that we saw it was very bright it was pretty close to us at least it seemed like it was pretty close to us uh, partly because we could see a lot of the fire uh, from it and it was breaking up into little bits and that was just really unique to see and, you know, who knows what it was? It could have been a piece of rock, or, or these days with all the rocket launches we have, it could have been some space junk falling out of the sky. It's it's pretty amazing how many things do fall out of the sky. Uh, and it, it begs the question of, you know, what are the chances of, of that hitting one of us in the air? And, and luckily, the chances are still pretty slim. Uh, it just the, the amount of space uh, in the atmosphere is is so immense and while yes there are tons of aircraft in the air the the odds of of an object actually hitting us are, are pretty rare they are there uh i can't think of off the top of my head of any examples of any kind of uh debris falling uh in the atmosphere that that has hit aircraft in the past but there might be stories out there that i'm just unaware of uh, but but that was probably one of the closer ones i've seen and again because of the perspective of, of where we are in the atmosphere compared to that falling object. It's very possible it was pretty far away, but since we were up at altitude, we just got a better view of it. You know, there was there was less uh, matter in the atmosphere between us and that object, so it was very clear 
uh, but it's probably one of the best examples of a, of a shooting star I've ever seen to date. So that was really interesting. The other thing that happened uh, was closer to LaGuardia on the approach. Nothing too exciting, but we were, I think we were number two, uh, lined up for runway 22, or on the, uh, I think it was the visual approach. We had it backed up with the ILS. And in front of us was a United plane, and they're coming on a short final, I'd say about a mile final, and we're a few miles behind them. And in LaGuardia, they have intersecting runways, so if they're uh, departing or uh, landing runway 22, they're usually departing runway 31, depending on the winds. Uh, so that was the case this evening. Um, and I noticed that, okay, this United aircraft's on a pretty short final, and this aircraft on the roll on runway 31 is just starting their roll. And I thought, hmm, this will be pretty tight. And sure enough, I heard uh, LaGuardia Tower come on and say, hey, uh, United, whatever their call sign was, uh, this isn't going to work. Go around, fly heading this. And so we witnessed a go around in front. So at that moment, I thought to myself, well, you know, I, I briefed it in our in our approach briefing, but I better get ready for the event that that happens again. Because you just you sometimes get so focused on lining up and getting ready to land that you forget that the chance of a go around is there. And because we don't do it that often, it can kind of catch you off guard. And so I just quickly briefed myself, all right, well, we saw United do it. If that happens, I'll call out for the go around. You'll put the flaps in. I'll call for heading. I'll call for my vertical mode, yada, yada, yada. So I just kind of briefed through my head, okay, what's going to happen if we do have to go around? Luckily, that didn't happen to us. Uh, United went around. Um, we landed, and all was fine. So that that concluded that, that two-day trip. Again, like I said, nothing really crazy happened at all just the shooting star and, and the witness of a, of a go around other than that it was it was a very very easy trip the weather was pretty good both flights both legs were uh, quite smooth uh, and on my deadheads I just was reading a book um, a little bit to kill some time so I just again a very very uneventful two day which is kind of a nice little breather from from that crazy three-day trip that I had last week so because there's not much to talk about about this past week, uh, one thing I wanted to bring in to this show was um, something that happened over the summer. And when this was back when I was uh, at Republic Airways, and we were coming into DC and had a mix-up of call signs. Not us, but uh, rather air traffic control had a mix-up. I think our call sign was 5642. So the call sign is Brickyard 5642. And the air traffic controller on, on approach control in, in DC's national airport kept saying Blue Streak, Blue Streak 5642. And Blue Streak is the call sign for PSA, which is uh, one of the wholly owned uh, regionals of American Airlines. And so it was just a really funny uh, back and forth where air traffic control kept messing up our call sign and kept calling us Blue Streak, even though we were Brickyard. And so I thought I'd just share some of that uh, in this week's episode, just so you can get kind of a taste. I'll probably interject here and there as, as I pull up the recordings here. Uh, but it, it started off with, um, again, getting some vectors to, to come on to the arrival. I think we were arriving into runway 19, I'm pretty sure, into DC. Uh, so we'll, we'll have a listen to, to some of these. And like I said, I'll, I might interject here once in a while. First pick here, 5642, out of 6,000, flowing to 5642, 10 with a low, maintain 5,000, once you're there, 170 knots. 5,000, once you're there, 170, 5642. 
So right there, I was I was checking in with air traffic control, letting them know that I what did I say? I think I was seven for six thousand, slowing to one hundred ninety knots, and and I made my call with Brickyard fifty six forty two, and right away his first response was Blue Streak fifty six forty two. He gave me that instruction, uh, and I I can't I can't remember if I had caught that or just I don't know just heard the the numbers fifty six forty two. So you can you can hear that I just responded to it. Uh, without that being an issue, but I, I'm pretty sure I, I do seem to remember. Oh, I think he messed that up, but he's clearly talking to us because he responded to us right away, uh, and it made sense given the instruction that we were given. Blue Streak 5642, I didn't respond to this one because I heard Blue Streak 5642 turn left heading 270, so I didn't respond. Blue Streak 50, I'm sorry, Brickyard 5642, left turn heading 250 now. So this this was the point where he finally was kind of catching himself uh, that he was making this mistake. He kept calling us blue streak, uh, and and so but he did correct himself, uh, and so I read about that that last instruction. But coming up in this next bit, you'll start to hear where things get kind of funny. Blue streak fifty six forty two descent to maintain four thousand. I'm assuming that's Brickyard fifty six forty two down to four thousand. I'll get it right one of these days. Brickyard fifty six forty two maintain four thousand. So there, there he's saying like, yeah, I'll get it right one of these days. And you can actually hear in my response, I'm kind of chuckling as I say, you know, descent and maintain 4,000 for Brickyard 5642. So at least, you know, you know, this guy's really busy, obviously, with tons of aircraft on his radar scope. But he was, you know, throwing some humor in there. I'll get it right one of these days. Brickyard 5642, I got it right this time. You're following at 737 at your 10 o'clock, four miles down the river at three. We got Southwest Brickyard 5642. Brickyard 5642, 160 until a five mile final. Follow the 737 and clear for the river visual to 19. 16-5 So at this point, he was finally getting it right. He nailed our call sign. He knew who we were, and he stopped making the mistake. And so I thought, you know what? On the next radio call, it might be kind of funny to play a prank on him. Brickyard 5642, Tower 191. We'll see you later. 19-1, so I don't know if you caught it right there, but he told us, you know, Brickyard 5642, Tower is now 19-1. That means 119.1 is the VHF frequency that we're going to change to to talk to Tower. And I came back and said... Over to Tower 19-1, Blue Streak, just kidding, Brickyard 5642, and, and then he just said, well played, and then immediately went into his, his next instruction to, uh, I think it was an American uh, that he was, he was given some instruction for. So, you know, just kind of a funny, playful uh, little thing there that while, you know, we want to stay professional on frequency and, and keep all of our, um, our, our radio calls short and concise, I just thought it was funny, you know, he was having a good time, I was having a good time. There was no real stress in that situation, uh, but it just goes to show that, you know, can you even imagine an air traffic controller, uh, an approach controller, or any controller for that matter, the amount of aircraft that they are responsible for at any given time is a lot. And when you see on your screen all these different letters and numbers, um, it's crazy. You know, for, for example, for uh, the Brickyard call sign, Brickyard 5642 in this case, that on a radar scope would say RPA 5642. And if it was a PSA aircraft for Blue Streak 5642, it would be JIA 5642. So there's all these different three-letter identifiers for the aircraft on the radar scope, plus the, the call sign numbers associated with that. 
So things can get pretty crazy and, and sometimes those call signs get messed up. And so this was just a, a really great example of how the controller admitted to his mistake, you know, that one of the previous ones, he said, I'll get it right one of these days. And, and he did. He, he was getting it right eventually. Uh, and so I thought I'd play that little practical joke on him. But a, again, I, I just really loved how his attitude was was really positive about it. Uh, you know, that little well played at the end. Uh, it was it was just a fun little joke while still maintaining a, a level of professionalism, which is very important, especially coming into a, a busy airspace. You know, we want to keep things completely uh, up to standard operating procedures, both in the flight deck and outside so it's you know regarding how we run our operations right so try to avoid non-standard phraseology when i can on the radio but this little moment was just it was too funny to let it pass so i i had to to say that i thought it was it was so unique uh that you know i hadn't had a conversation like that on the radio before so uh if you're wondering how i was able to to grab these recordings well you can go on to liveatc.net and you can tune into any airport that's live um, right now uh, as you're listening to this. Uh, or, or you can pull up archives, too, and you can figure out you know, what time the, the radio uh, transmissions occurred. And it's, you, know, you can kind of hear there's a lot of static in there. Uh, it's it's not, it, not quite like it sounds like in, in person over the radio, obviously, because there's a lot of interference that gets picked up on the, the recordings that you don't hear in real life. So it, it's not the best, uh, and hopefully you were able to understand much of that. And for all of my my non-pilot listeners, uh, you probably notice how quick radio transmissions are uh, on uh, on the radio. It, I mean, it's 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 insanely fast how we speak. I mean, it's it's kind of like us pilots. We if we're English native native English speakers, we speak two languages really. It's English and then aviation English. Uh, and then you throw in there if if you um, are not a non-native English speaker, you know, it's your primary language. That's one language you speak. You you speak English and aviation language. Maybe you you uh, you speak three different languages, so it's it's pretty insane how quick those those transmissions are. Uh, but it's a lot of fun to listen to those. So again, liveatc.net. That's how I was able to pull uh, those archives out. I just jotted down the times that I knew I was arriving, uh, and then I clicked on the approach control frequency from the drop-down menu and and uh, listened to it for a little bit, and then found the the recording where it was it was us coming in there. So it was it was really fun to to go back and listen to that. You'll also find on YouTube, there are a lot of videos of different things that have happened. Um, you know, whether that's uh, aircraft declaring emergency or funny ATC uh, conversations, those are some of my favorite videos, uh, particularly the, the ones in Kennedy. Uh, the controller has since retired, but there's this one air traffic controller, uh, his, his nickname was Kennedy Steve, and he was pretty famous for being very creative and funny on the radio on Kennedy ground. Now, in New York's Kennedy Airport, it's it's incredibly busy, uh, and it has some of the most international departures and arrivals out of any airport in the United States. So there's a lot of language barriers um, that, that are happening there, and there's a lot of, of misunderstanding of, of, of instructions uh, between aircraft and controllers and, and um it, it just gets really interesting and, and very hectic, uh, and, and it's it's pretty funny to listen to online. So if you're looking for something interesting to listen to, if you if you don't know already about Kennedy Steve, just look up Kennedy Steve ATC on YouTube, and you'll find all kinds of, of great content. I'm pretty sure I've watched every video there is out there uh, about Kennedy Steve. There's also a lot of other controllers. You'll, you'll see a lot of these videos will pertain to Kennedy, because again, uh, it doesn't matter if it's him or not. I mean, it gets stressful sometimes, and I've had plenty of experiences in New York's Kennedy Airport 
where instructions were given multiple times over because again some of those language barriers you know while we do have IKO um, you know terms uh, that are supposed to be standard across the board so that no matter what airport you're flying into uh, across the world you know where wherever you are these terms should be standard sometimes some of those are lost in, along the way so that's why you know in terms of radio phraseology they really stress to us pilots and, and to air traffic controllers as well that standard phraseology is incredibly important uh, particularly when you have people coming in from from uh, different parts of the world who who don't speak English as well. Uh, and again, English is the IKO language. And if you're wondering what IKO stands for, it's International Civil Aviation Organization. So it's it's essentially a, a governing body that that uh, you know controls things like standard phraseology or elements of airports and infrastructure. And, you know, there, there's a lot more to it than just that, but that's kind of the basics of it. So one of the things is that all pilots have to be IKO level four rated. Uh, and I can't remember off the top of my head what that exactly means in terms of, of how much English you understand. Uh, but sometimes things get really stressful and, and sometimes you'll forget some terms. So I, I can't even imagine someone who doesn't speak English now comes into Kennedy and maybe you're doing it, I don't know, once a month, if that, right, on, on your trips, on your schedule. And now you're getting instructions. They're, they're asking you what uh, what gate you're going to or have you been cleared in the ramp or, or where's your entrance to the ramp. And so some of these <laughs> transmissions you'll hear uh, if you listen to these videos on, on YouTube, uh, it, it's pretty funny. Uh, you know, ground will be asking an aircraft, are you cleared in? And the response is just not the answer that ground control is looking for. So they get frustrated too, and, and they understand. They understand the language barrier exists, but they also have so many aircraft on the ground that they have to control and move around. So if one aircraft can't get into the ramp, that's going to cause a lot of backups. And if there's a lot of backups, guess what? All the arrivals and departures, things get out of whack. So it, it just gets really stressful. So anyway, if you're looking for an entertaining time uh, and, and some downtime you have and you want to go down the rabbit hole of YouTube, look up uh, any kind of live ATC recordings on, on air traffic control. There's a couple of uh, accounts out there. I think one's called VASA Aviation. Uh, and there's a couple more out there. I can't remember off the top of my head that have some awesome ATC uh, conversations. And, and it's a great way to learn and kind of figure out how things are, are working. And even though it's it's just audio, they actually a lot of these videos will um, you know on the screen will will have a depiction of the aircraft. Uh, and I don't know if they've created that themselves or if it's some sort of um, flight aware or or flight radar twenty four recording of of the the flight path of the aircraft. I'm not sure, but it, it gives you a lot of these little visual cues uh, in in order to to kind of help with your situation awareness and try and keep up with where 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 they are in the air traffic control conversation. Because if you're going into this, you know you you've never uh, listened to to radios before uh, for air traffic control and, and on airports. I mean, it can get really confusing, and and it sounds like a complete different language, and you have no idea what's going on. But if you have a, a, a ground chart out in front of you, or if you're watching the video that, that has a nice depiction of what's going on, it definitely might help with the situational awareness. So, I mean, all, all my pilot listeners, you, you guys are very familiar with air traffic control uh, conversations. But for those who, who might be new to it and you do want to check these kinds of videos out, um, just, you know, don't overthink it. It's, it's a lot of information that they're going on and on and on about. 
Uh, and so it might be a little bit, a little hard to understand at first, but the more you listen to it, it gets, like I said, it gets pretty entertaining, especially when you start hearing the frustration in some of these controllers and, and pilots for that matter, some of their voices, uh, things get pretty interesting. I mean, one thing that happened somewhat recently is there was a Delta, I think it was an Airbus A350 that had to return to Atlanta. It was supposed to go from Atlanta to Barcelona. And there, you know, it's, that's a transatlantic flight. And their, their route of flight was pretty much going up the eastern seaboard and then crossing the Atlantic somewhere over New York's airspace. And so I think they were about an hour and a half, maybe two hours into the flight. They were uh, getting ready to cross the Atlantic uh, some, somewhere over the New York area, like I said. And unfortunately, a, a passenger had a bit of a, a bowel movement um, that didn't quite make it into the lavatory. I won't go into more details. You can find out on your own trying to keep this podcast PG. <laughs> uh, but anyway, the, the pilots elected to return to Atlanta instead of continuing on to the destination with potentially a, a biohazard on board. So you can find that. Uh, on YouTube as well. Literally any kind of aircraft uh, incident or return to gate or anything you can think of is going to be on on the archives. Uh, it's it's on the internet, right? There there are these people out here who who have these channels for the the live ATC recordings and they're listening up for these kind of things. So as soon as they hear of a story or something, they're going into the archives. They're finding it and they're throwing it on YouTube and it's it's great for for all of us to really enjoy it. Uh, and it's it's an awesome learning experience too because. You know, and the reason why airlines are so safe is because through training uh, from the very beginning as a student pilot all the way through airline training, we're constantly going over incidents and accidents and, you know, discussing them so that there are ways to prevent things like that happening in the future. And these ATC recordings are, are really great for that. So uh, beyond just the, the funny banter of, of Kennedy Ground or, or like uh, today's example of, of the mix-up of call signs, there's a lot of really great information out there uh, on YouTube where you can learn a lot and, and hope, uh, hope to learn from some of the mistakes of, of the uh, aviators from our past. Uh, so it, it keeps us humble. And the thing we like to think of is that, you know, no matter how much training, uh, how sharp we might be, we got a good night's rest, you know, these incidents that happen, these accidents that happen, it can happen to anyone. And so that's why we, we constantly think of, you know, being prepared uh, and, and being on top of everything and following our, our standard operating procedures and, and hopefully keeping, keeping those radio communications uh, to, to a standard and, and using that standard phraseology. But anyway, that's that's today's episode. It's it's pretty short. Like I said, uh, this past week was a, a very uh, you know nothing really to report uh, other than the, just witnessing that shooting star and, and the, the the go around in front of us. Uh, very easy two day trip. But I, I did want to uh, bring in the the funny ATC conversation that I had uh, back in uh, I can't remember what time of year that was. It must have been July, maybe maybe June. I can't. It was this past summer at some point. So. Uh, and again, that was on the arrival uh, into DC National. Uh, it was the River Visual to Runway 19, which is uh, one of my favorite arrivals uh, into the airport. It's really fun. You come over the Potomac River, you're you're banking all the way up until 400 feet, and then you level it out, and then you touch down, and it's really awesome. And there's also this little park that you can hang out at and watch all these planes coming in on the arrival. So if you're ever in DC, you're, you're looking for something to do, go to Airplane Park. Uh, it's just north of the airport there. It's awesome. You get to watch these jets come over you, right over top of you, like 300, 400 feet. And it's it's pretty awesome. It's loud too. You might want some earplugs, but uh, it is definitely uh, one of the things you can do in DC. 
So there you have it. That wraps up this week's episode of Clear for Takeoff. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'll be back next time. And until then, as always, fly safe.